Welcome to the Film Hole Podcast. I am Raul. And I'm Trevor. And I am a scientist in training. I'm a filmmaker, fully trained. Fully minted. Highest level <laughs> filmmaker. Every week we watch a movie. And then every week we chat about it. And this week we watched... Beetlegeist. 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 This brings up an interesting topic about the movie that I wanted to, to talk about. <laughs> But why is, like, the name of the movie spelled differently than, like, within the movie? Oh, I just saw some videos about this. Really? Yeah. Help me out here. Well, the weird-sounding one is because that's just, like, the real name of things. It's, like, a star. That probably oh. gets its etymology back from something else. I think okay. it's Germanic. And the reason they changed the spelling, I think, was just... It's just, like, a creative liberty that they took yeah they made it funnier right they took this word that's like a real word and uh-huh. they just turned it into beetle and juice which is like definitely not what that word means right it's just like phonetically something that it sounds like when i first saw the comparison between those two words i'm like maybe just like the the beetle geist the astrology word or what is it it was an astrology word it's like a star in the milky way Okay. Astronomy word maybe is the right way to put that. Uh-huh. But like, I thought like, oh, that's just like too hard to say or pronounce if you're reading it. So like they just made it easier phonetically for like marketing purposes. That's what the video that I saw made it seem like. No one's going to go see Beetlegeist if they see it on the marquee in the theater. Right, right. The title of this movie definitely left an impression on me as a child. Before I even saw this movie, I've heard about the movie. Mm-hmm. And what an interesting movie beetle juice don't you like just want to know what that movie's about i certainly did (laughs) quick uh observation here we're both wearing headbands today nice i thought you just lost a half part of your head because it like (laughs) melts into your chair chair. (laughs) what's funny is like the colors are like inverse from one another like yours is maybe a little bit like red Uh uh-huh but my hair is kind of blondish red and my headband is black Ah. And your hair is like blondish, or your headband is blondish red and your hair is black. Here's another like inverse. This is like an inverse inverse. My headband is like a magenta kind of colored, right? Mm-hmm. Like off purple. And then my sweater is also like on that side of the color wheel. It's like a off dark magenta red, mm-hmm. which kind of matches. But yours, completely mm-hmm. contrasting. You're wearing like a white Justin Bieber shirt. And the bandana is just solid black. <laughs> like so Justin let's Bieber. just let's move on. Um, Thanks for that. Just let that sink in. Yeah, imagine us, listeners. Who's hotter? Tweet us at at FilmholePod mm-hmm. in your imagination. Uh huh. But back to the the name. Whenever I thought about this movie as a kid, and just the name alone, it made me think of like like the the juice that comes out of like a beetle, like if you smashed it. Yeah. I was literally going to say the same thing. It literally made me think of what beetle juice would be, which uh-huh. is if you took a bunch of beetles and crushed them <laughs> and then probably took out the shells. Like it's like a rather purified. Right. The liquid inside of all beetles. Right. And mm-hmm. it, it's such a shocking image. Right. Like, that's the image that the movie put in my mind when I was a child. And my question is like, is like Tim Burton or like the people who like went along with that name, like aware of that? That, like that seems to be the image that comes to mind when you say Beetlejuice. Uh, they have to have thought of that. 
Because, like, in the way they kind of present it in the movie, it, nez- it doesn't really ever seem like it goes there. Like, it, when he's, like, trying to get Winona Ryder to say the name, he, like, shows a beetle and he shows some orange juice. But at, nev- at no point are they, like, <laughs> here's, like, the inside, like, liquid of a beetle. And Not that's... that it would even be that out of tone for the movie. Like, they totally no. could have. Right. But it's also weird. You don't call, you don't call like, the guts of anything else, like, juice. No. Right? Just somehow, I think because it's, like, an insect that, like, probably a lot of people have smushed at some point in their lives. Mm-hmm. And you've seen what comes out of, like, beetles or, like, cockroaches when you smush them. And it's kind of juice-like. Yes. So, man, I definitely like smashed way too many bugs when I was a little kid before I could truly fathom the the gravitas of what I was doing, just like killing oh, animals. Uh-huh. I definitely uh-huh. like was just, you know, popping roly polies in the backyard. That's what all kids do. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not going to lie, I definitely kill my fair share amount of bugs to this day. Now I'm just like aware of what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Short little prayer. So, What's this movie all about? Yeah, so this is like a great movie. I think you probably know a little bit more about Tim Burton than I do. Okay. Just based off how you speak about it, but I can get us started off. It's a a movie that came out like in the 1980s. Yeah, 88, I think. Directed by Tim Burton. So obviously it's going to be very dark and Halloween-y and weird. Um, The Mm -hmm. movie's about this this couple that like lives in the, what they describe as like the country. Mm -hmm. Not really the country, just a regular place as far as I'm concerned. Small town. The country may be relative to, like, a metropolitan city. I think that's what it is. But this, like, it's a newlywed couple, and they get into an accident, a car accident, and then die. And then they find themselves, like, back at their house somehow, and then quickly realize that they are, in fact, dead. Like, they're ghosts, and that they're haunting their house. A family moves in to them, like, a a family from New York City. Moves into their house, yeah. Yeah. Which considers this part of America, like, as, like, the country. Right. They definitely, like, make it pretty clear that this family is trying to escape, like, some sort of, like, life in the city. Like, they treat the place that they've come as this kind of, like, exotic, like, back-to-basics sort of uh, place. And they're, like, uh, like city folk if, like, Tim Burton... Or, like, Tim Burton's interpretation of city folk, which is just, like, way over-the-top, like, high-fashion, like, weird hobbies and tastes. Yeah, what weird characters. They're, like, an exaggerated version of New York art business elite. Right. They just, like, smashed it all into one family. (laughs) Yeah. Family moves in. They're ghosts. And the movie kind of sets up this world of, like, why ghosts exist, which is, like, they live in this house but they don't want these other people to live in their house. So they have to haunt them and scare them away so they can have their house back. Mm -hmm. It's not like just regular ghosts. There's actually quite a bit of like world building here Uh as far as like, there's a lot of structure to the afterlife as you come to find out. I want to dig more into this a lot, but in short, the ghosts played by Alec Baldwin and I don't know the female actress's name, Winona Ryder, Gina Davis. So Alec Baldwin and Gina Davis, uh, who are the ghosts, befriend Winona Ryder, who is the daughter of the family that moves in. And she's kind of this really edgy or like maybe angsty is the right word, goth teen, really into death, feeling sad. I feel like we understand who that character is pretty right away based (laughs) based on her performance. But they're just trying to get this family out of this house and Winona Ryder's helping them. 
and she feels distant from her family so she feels at home with the ghosts and they're having some trouble getting these people to leave and so they hire beetlejuice who is a demon or a ghost himself i'm not really sure but he is like an entity that specializes in haunting uh, and he's like a freelance haunter and so these ghosts hire him to help haunt this family out of their house obviously that's the titular character ironically enough though he compared to alec baldwin and gina davis i don't think has that much screen time oh no very small amount of screen time he's kind of like a tertiary character in the overall story he's like the the shark in jaws yeah like his presence is kind of like casts a shadow on the story Uh uh-huh like uh fairly early on i think when they first like find the flyer of him in his house yeah he is the monster i guess in this movie Mm -hmm. but he's not the main character so that's basically the movie the plot's pretty simple yeah i think that pretty much sums it up so raul what did you think of this movie i loved it i was trying to think back the last time that i've seen it um and i can't remember so it's yeah it's actually been a while since i've watched this yeah i'm not sure when i watched this last either i feel like a lot of the imagery is pretty fresh in my mind so it's not like i was a kid when i saw it i can tell based on how much of the dialogue seemed new to me that it's been a while because like one thing about growing up watching movies is that sometimes like when you were really young and you watched the movie dialogue just like went over your head and like you didn't Mm -hmm. even try to understand it right so i'm pretty sure that's happening here (laughs) but yeah for repeat viewing it's like so much better to watch now i think yeah i enjoyed it a lot more i don't know about you but i think throughout lard like most of my life I've been kind of familiar with the whole Tim Burton thing because he's been involved with like children's movies in addition to like his own sort of stuff. And I feel like his stuff kind of leans childlike and some of his, uh, some of his style leans that way, I should say to like Edward Scissorhands is maybe not like an overtly like kids or family movie. It just kind of feels a little bit family friendly. Like I feel like I saw that like a long time ago and for that reason i'm not particularly like drawn to like tim burton's stuff like at other parts of my life i totally agree about it being childlike a lot of the pra- mm-hmm. protagonists are themselves like have like a lot of childlike characters it feels kind of written like a kid's movie yeah because they do that in kids movies like the main character will usually have like some kind of issue that like that children have and that we try to like teach children about like uh-huh. a character that uh gets too angry and upset of his parents and lashes out yeah like it's not uncommon to have characters that betray that and then they learn to grow throughout the movie yeah and then adults show that to the kids and they're like see see that's what's weird about like tim burton is because i identify all of those qualities in this movie and his other movies but like you also have like beetlejuice who's like a pervert and there's like a strip club like like a demon strip club in this movie (laughs) and so it's like a mixed bag of uh, appropriateness for the family do you know what uh what rating this movie has take a guess i'm gonna say pg-13 pg it's pg wow yeah (laughs) that's crazy it's crazy just because of like the type of character beetlejuice is alone like i feel like should knock that up a little bit right right like grace had like some very unforgiving things to say about like his like sexual behavior in this movie and maybe it just like it's because it was the 80s and people weren't 
didn't care about that as much mm-hmm. but like he's doing like some pretty racy stuff yeah for sure i mean he certainly is like portrayed as a sleazeball like that's definitely a character uh-huh. mold that existed even back then but yeah he's pretty out there i think maybe if this movie came out if it was exactly the same and it came out today it might get a pg-13 rating oh for sure like even for the time it doesn't make any sense yeah i mean sexual stuff aside uh, nobody cared about that back then as far as ratings were concerned but some of the, like the violent imagery i think and it's just like i don't know maybe if i'm trying to like play devil's advocate here it seems maybe just because like the violence is portrayed and you're talking about like the uh like the waiting room scene where you have all of like the gored up people yeah that like they are kind of like a tim burton kind of gore like it's a little bit cartoony do you know what i'm saying oh for sure for sure yeah like uh, the guy with like a rib stuck in his throat or something it's just like super stylized makeup like not what you would look like if you choked on a like what a ab- piece of meat and died what about the roadkill guy that was pretty gruesome that guy's pretty fucked up too but i don't know there's still something about it that just like a puddle i think <laughs> that whole part where this is a good segue into like world building i think so we should say when the ghosts or when alec baldwin and uh gina davis die that i really love how they just don't know they're dead right away Mm -hmm. i think that is automatically like a cool hook for a a ghost movie i mean obviously this movie is unique for a lot of reasons because it's told from the perspective of two dorky people trying to like do a haunting in their own house but even just like the way it deals with death like what that might be like is super fun and an imaginative imaginative I do like that intro because you as the audience member also don't know that they died necessarily. Right. So it's just like a hard cut from them dying at the car accident to them going back to their home. Uh Uh-huh. And so, you know, that could mean that in the movie world that if they had survived, that there was a whole scene of things that happened leading to them getting back home and that we just missed all that. But what happened in reality is that like the, the characters died and then like, their consciousness immediately came back to the home and there was no they had no memory of they had no memory yeah uh-huh which i like and it feels like i don't know i don't know anything about any potential afterlife but that feels like something that could happen you're just like oh i'm in my house again and i don't remember how i got here yeah am i dead have you ever seen waking life no oh you gotta watch that movie but it's like um it, it's not in that like style of like where you have actors but you still animate over them okay what's that called yeah. rotoscoping gyro roto something rotoscoping yeah yeah but it's a richard Linklater film and the main character is like maneuvering through this kind of dream world this is the same style as scanner darkly uh-huh right it's called waking life yeah okay but yeah it kind of deals like with that issue like by the end of the movie like the character keeps waking up in a dream and like he can't wake up into real life when he wants to mm-hmm. and by the end he's just like i think i might be dead huh. and you're like and it's been like an hour and a half at this point and you're like oh my god okay that makes so perfect sp- sense spoiled the whole movie for me yeah and for everybody <laughs> out there yeah sorry spoiler alert for waking life but yeah the way that it that this movie deals with the afterlife like it's kind of trippy but it's also f- fun somehow I don't know. Tim Burton has a way of like kind of showing you weird and grotesque stuff, but it somehow feels innocent. And I think someone like compared him to like the, he's like the emo Wes Anderson or something. 
which yeah. I think is like a, a pretty solid comparison. I think that uh, Tim Burton's style like rests more in sort of established kind of Halloween like imagery. Like he's the spooky director, right? Yeah. Whereas Wes Anderson's like in a category of his own. So I think he gets more credit in this sort of auteur arena. Mm-hmm. But like certainly they both have similar levels of like distinct imagery. Yeah. I really like this like train of thought that we've been in and like thinking about how directors can be unique and like mm-hmm. even the ways that they can be unique is so varied in so mm-hmm. many different ways. Like this guy picked like Halloween and creepiness as his like insignia and he's just rolls with it. Right. And I've always found that to be a strange choice and maybe it's just my personal taste, but like, I'm just not, I'm not super into the whole, like I'm the, I'm the ghost director, you know, (laughs) it's kind of weird. It is weird. Like I like Tim Burton as much as the next guy, but it's like, it's like if I came out and I'm like, all right, I'm in the, I'm the Christmas director now. I only do Christmas movies. I'm going to corner the market. <laughs> I mean, whatever. It's cool. I mean, there's definitely, I'm definitely not giving Tim Burton enough credit because while his movies are grounded in that sort of like spooky Halloween-y thing, like there are like things about his movies that are extremely unique. He's not just making like goofy, like what's that like book series called? Goosebumps? Uh-huh. Like he's not just making like Goosebumps mo- movies, right? Where it's just like kids getting into like spooky adventures Mm -mm. like they have a style and they have a tone and it's very identifiable with tim burton let's see if this makes sense it's he's as idiosyncratic and stylistically uniform as wes anderson um Mm -hmm. some movies aside he has some movies that deviate but he also has the added on constraint that it has to be about like halloween themes and like dark themed it would be weird if you saw anything from Tim Burton that didn't have that, like, black cone of paint on it. Yeah. It's like, this summer, Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey. And, and Tim Burton. You're like, what? <laughs> what else have you seen from Tim Burton's discography? I've seen uh, Edward Scissorhands. I've seen Corpse Bride. I've seen Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I've seen Sweeney Todd. I've also seen, like, a couple kids' movies that he's, like, produced like james and the giant peach is one of those dark shadows i didn't know he did that so i've also seen dark shadows there's a beetlejuice 2 did you know that no yeah i know what i'm doing tonight is this recent i think this is like an upcoming movie there's no date associated with it yeah nice updated april 7th 2019 so maybe not (laughs) but it says like on imdb it says status unknown but something that's, I guess, kind of in the works. Nice. So, but you've seen, like, a lot of the classic ones of his. Yeah, and I've seen Batman and Batman Returns. Planet of the Apes was one that I was surprised to see on there. Like the 90s one? Um, It's like a 2000 one. Or, oh yeah, the one with Mark Wahlberg. Yeah. I remember seeing this in a theater when it came out in, in Mexico, and it was, like, subtitled. That's a good example of, like, a non-Tim Burton tim burton movie yeah because that's just kind of an overt kind of blockbuster ish movie yeah it was but also like even batman which i would argue is his like largest movie ever Uh like the original batman that even that just because it's like batman like feels kind of like tim burton 
Mm-hmm. Like Batman is kind of a spooky, dark character, so yeah. it makes sense. And that's why, I, like, I always <laughs> kind of laugh off of the whole. We watched that test footage of Superman at the beginning of our our screening last night. Mm-hmm. So, like, for those of you who don't know, Tim Burton almost made a Superman movie with uh, Nicolas Cage as the Kryptonian. It was supposed to be called Superman Lives. And I think it was kind of riding off of the coattails of his success with Batman. And so it had the very, like, distinct sort of body armor look that, like, Batman had in those movies. Like, kind of the rubber, chiseled torso uh, costume. It was just a costume test of a suit that looked like that, but Superman and Nicolas Cage is wearing it in a hotel room. (laughs) And he looks amazing. I've never seen a better looking Nicolas Cage. I don't, I'm gonna need to like know what your like threshold is for amazing for Nicolas Cage. <laughs> I guess the suit I'm paying atten- paying more attention to, but it looks so weird. No, to the me. suit looks really crazy. I mean, it's like bulging in places that he is not filling. Right. It's, it's like sculpted into muscle already, and then you just put it on. Right. And that's what's funny about like the Batman suits too is like Michael Keaton is not that shredded <laughs> in the 1989 <laughs> Batman movie. But also just because they entertained that thought is funny to me because like Batman and Tim Burton go together like peanut butter and jelly. Uh But like, I don't think the same is true for like Tim Burton and Superman. No. At least like the traditional portrayal of that character. Mm -hmm. Superman's not this like weird, like sad Gothic character. And he definitely looks like the, the screen test or the costume test looks like the Tim Burton of that. Which is, like, Nicolas Cage has this, like, long, like, black hair. He, like, already kind of looks like a Tim Burton character. Like an Edward Scissorhands type of guy. Yeah. And he's just wearing, like, a Superman suit. Just as a callback to one of our previous episodes, it looks like an even longer version of his hair in Con Air. Right. Which looks crazy on Superman. He looks looks so weird to me. Why do you think he looks amazing in those tests? Oh, he was just, like, super young, and, like, the hair was just, like, coming off as really, like, glamorous. Maybe it was a suit somewhat flattering him. Yeah, maybe. The suit's kind of cool, like, if you take it out of context. Except for the boots. His, like, boots are, like, very 90s. They're just, like, big and chunky. Let's circle back around to world building. I really love how when these characters die, they're kind of just, like, thrown into this... I think someone compared it to, like, a corrupt, like, government... Yeah. Like the whole system of like what you have to do when you die is like very confusing and it's like going to the DMV. There's a lot of like waiting in line. A lot of bureaucracy. Yeah. Just a lot of bullshit that you have to deal with, which I think is a funny concept by itself. Yeah. And like the characters that you, I guess when they go to some sort of realm of the afterlife, they're met with all of these wacky characters that have all been like locked into the image of their death. Like you said earlier, like one guy is like flattened because he's assuming like run over by a car or something. Yeah. There's like a guy with a shrunken head. There's like a woman who's like cut in half. There's um a guy with like a chi- a huge chicken bone just like lodged sideways in his throat and it's just like sticking out. Right. It's just great. So I think that's like a unique approach to the afterlife that you don't. I don't know. I've never seen something like that in other equally like spooky movies, you know? Yeah. 
is there any other like are they in uh, heaven or hell or is there even those things do they even exist i don't think that there's a distinction at least not a, a solid one given in this movie like is there another place other than the realms that we've seen yeah i don't or, know was that just kind of it like you die and you come back as a ghost and then that's the rest it kind of seems like that's the rest or at least like if you're not like ha- currently haunting you get like a bullshit job in whatever like economy that those other ghosts are in yeah this seems awful because like it seems to me like beetlejuice himself is some sort of ghost and he's like a freelancer yeah so he's fallen on and he said something about living through the black plague so he's also kind of old yeah and then uh there i don't know who she is but the character's name is juno but she's like helping them get acclimated to the afterlife and so like she has a job obviously so I think that that's how it's supposed to work, is like you're either haunting or you're working. Ugh, do not sign me up. I have no interest life. in that at all. It's like that Dimitri Martin joke about batteries. You're either working or you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> it's a shit life. Just like one small detail. When they died and then they immediately show up back home, do you think any time period had passed until they showed up again? Because I kind of think that they were like unconscious, non-existing for a while yeah i i think you're right because i mean it seem it seems like um that family member the, the person harking about the house selling the yeah. house like shortly after they show up she shows up again and she's already sort of like mourning their death yeah and you're right that it does the movie does this really kind of subtle thing with time like it advances time in weird ways um and it doesn't really pay that much attention to it which i really like so, like, one example is when um, they're trying to leave the house. Alec Baldwin's character, like, f- falls. Like, he walks off the porch and, like, is instantly teleported to, like, a sandworm, like, dune-like desert. Yeah. And I think that later on someone says that that is Saturn, like, where he went. But when he comes back, like, his wife is like, you've been gone for hours. And, like, that's it. Oh, wow. Like, no, no more is, like... Like, I, that happens maybe a couple times, but, like, they don't, like, make a big deal about it when uh-huh. time advances in a weird way like that. And even the movie as a whole, I mean, probably takes place over the course of months because they mm-hmm. do so much work on the house is the main mm-hmm. thing that signifies that. But all of the scenes just, like, flow from one to the other. It's, like, almost irrelevant. Yeah. Like, that time scale that I just gave is, like, irrelevant. It could have all happened, like, one day after the other. Maybe that's the whole point. Yeah, it just kind of rolls off the tongue the message there is that when you're dead like time is irrelevant so yeah i don't i don't like this picture of the afterlife at all like if the afterlife is even like a little bit inconvenient it's uh-huh. like no deal uh-huh. like have you ever been asked the question if you would live forever if given the opportunity i've never been asked that question but i'm familiar never, have you ever thought about the question like, sure yeah so, so the idea is like you really have to weigh things when you're like talking about infinity because it could also just be assuming you can't like um you can't die so it's like yeah but you you pretty quick i think like the only reasonable answer is to say that i would not take that there's a lot of problems with immortality i think there's like a i listened to a podcast about this once or something people like assume a lot with immortality like let's just get the obvious one out of the way where it's like all your friends and family die at some point oh right like you become eternally alone in your in your existence but beyond that if you like there's a difference between between being immortal and like invincible uh-huh. 
and so like let's say your body can still take damage if you just like think about the amount of like scars that you get like within like <laughs> a couple years like how many times you like uh, hurt yourself or like disfigure disfigure yourself even in just like a very small way uh-huh. you know how many times you stub your toe whatever they'll add up over time multiply that over like an infinity amount of years and you'll be like this crazy like disfigured thing like after a few millennia yeah and you'll have a horrifying existence you'll be much more you know how like we're um, afraid to be in accidents and like die in an accident mm-hmm. that threat will be multiplied like by infinity mm-hmm. like you know that you're gonna die in an accident yeah you just don't know when like that's guaranteed you're not gonna live to the end of your life but in any case like for me like what, what made me think about this is that in this movie <laughs> can we just like pause on what you just said you're not gonna live till the end of your life you're not gonna into the <laughs> end of your lifespan um but like that's the bargain being given to people for their afterlife like they get there and it's already a hassle and they just yeah. got there yeah that sucks that does suck have you ever seen um a movie called risk cutters a love story no it's like another uh kind of dark tim burtony kind of film where the whole premise is that if you commit suicide like in our world that you immediately wake up to basically a parallel world where it's pretty much the same thing except it's populated only by the people that committed suicide okay Um, and it's just kind of like a shittier world cool it's not like you get there and you're burning in hellfire or anything right you, like, you get there by... you find a, a room to stay in like you get an apartment uh-huh. and you work and try to get some money and just mm-hmm. to, just to live just to survive but that sucks right even just a little bit of inconvenience spread out over infinity is an infinite amount of inconvenience and you're automatically stuck in hell it's like a like a math property like if you have even an infinitesimal amount of bad it's it's a bad proposition because eventually like that'll consume the crazy yeah yeah, consume the problem it has to be like a 100 percent utopia absolute like shine yeah yeah like the, the, the way the christian heaven is supposed to look like which makes the if you look at it from a mathematical perspective i guess that means the afterlife has to be very binary in order to yeah for, for what it's supposed to be it has to be all bad or all good. Can you imagine a religion where it's it's not that? Where it's just like a little bit better? It's just a little bit better. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you have like, you get like really good uh, mileage on your car. That's why I think that like reincarnation just makes the most sense. Where you just get up, you just get to go over and over again. Yeah. You know? Because it's all, it's all imperfect. It seems like a perfect utopia is like a harder thing to think about than just like trying again with no memories or as a huh. different animal. <laughs> it's interesting how like religion has already kind of like settled or like answered these basic fundamental questions. And like the only religions that survived are the ones that have, let's say, it, mathematically consistent mm-hmm. visions for the afterlife. Mm-hmm. Like it's either infinitely good and infinitely bad or it's a periodic function yeah and that's sensible too this is cool i like this discussion this week on the film hole i knew you were gonna say that (laughs) i knew you were gonna say this week on the film (laughs) that's so funny tweet us uh your favorite religion (laughs) (laughs) that's great um okay so we talked a little bit about world building Mm -hmm. 
do you have like you want to talk about saints sure i got a great one to uh, lead us off the worm sand dune desert yeah i love that world so how do we get to that scene what happens so this uh is this set, is this a meta setup or do you want me to get into it i want you to get into it okay so the sandworm i love how unexplained it is like we don't learn anything more about the sand world than what is presented to us yeah but essentially we didn't say this but the husband and wife are haunting this house so they are basically bounded by the, the vicinity the area of their house mm-hmm. if they leave they find themselves like in a crazy alien desert world inhabited by sandworm dune monsters uh-huh and that's essentially how they're trapped inside their home right and i don't really understand how they get back from there that's a little gray too but i really like that it's not explained like it's probably visually like one of the most interesting things in the movie is mm-hmm. that scene but it's such a minor part of the whole story uh-huh it reminds me i mean we were fresh off of like jodorowsky's uh, el topo which was the original midnight movie slash acid western so the whole trippy desert thing is kind of fresh in my mind we looked at like some dolly stuff when we were watching that movie too so like that vibe seems to be consistent with this uh tim burton desert right right and it reminded me so much of uh Yodorowsky, like when he was going to direct that dune movie like he made a bunch of the artwork for it he got like really geared up to the last stages of movie development when was this happening i don't know much about the whole Yodorowsky dune thing other than just it was something that was never made it was after el topo around the around then like holy mountain el topo time okay so yeah. like maybe 70s late yeah. 70s yeah definitely maybe 80s i don't know but the artwork is very it, like they remind me of each other you think like tim burton maybe like knew about all this and he like saw some of that artwork and he's like you know what i'm just gonna throw some of this in my beetlejuice movie and maybe like somebody will come to me to direct dune <laughs> that's, that's him throwing his hat in the ring right uh-huh that would be so cool imagine a dune by tim burton i would love that they did that more like uh, what if directors covered movies like the way musicians cover songs Ooh, i love that and you just everybody gives you their their take that's such a cool idea i mean like we've i think we've all seen like sketches of stuff like that right like in the we were when we were watching like wes anderson stuff it's like star wars directed by wes anderson (laughs) right shit like that but i like the way that you put it like a director covering a movie where it's not just this like silly throwaway thing like they actually create a movie from scratch like in their own distinctive style project completely right i like that a lot probably will never happen but i would watch the hell out of stuff like that we'll see it decades from now i'm I'm telling you i'm calling it Mm -hmm. they're gonna like remake the classics from our era in the future they'll just like it'll just be like an ai like produced thing like you'll just like hit like the wes anderson button and then like the dune button and like the computer will spit out like a simulated movie of those Uh, two things you're probably totally right actually Mm -hmm. let's go back to our previous conversation about (laughs) predicting the future of the film industry it's probably just gonna like merge with video games Uh and eventually you'll just be able to like live out the movie in like vr sounds awful actually yeah it's just like movies are basically like being like fed to us hopefully like those two it's like uh, it's very different like one is interactive and the other one is passive 
the two mm-hmm. experiences. So hopefully that's enough to like keep them separated. You've never summed up like the distinction between the feeling I get playing video games and watching movies better than that just now. Yeah, for sure. One is passive, one is active. Yeah, that's exactly like why those are different feelings and why I like participating in both. Uh huh. Hits like different areas of the brain or something. Mm hmm. Okay. So, do you want to talk more about that dune desert? Just how that's all I have for it. Just like it's so cool. It, that mm-hmm. scene in particular terrified me when I watched it the first time. Mm hmm. And it looks a lot more toyish now on a rewatch. Like it, I could swear, like when I saw it the first time, that like as far as my mind could tell and my eye could tell, uh-huh. like this was like a real snake, and it was like absolutely frightening. <laughs> yeah, nothing about it came off as like toyish or animation uh-huh. or stop motion. It's interesting how like our eyes have maybe this is like an evolutionary thing, but like we've had a conversation like this before where. It's like we, as kids, were looking at, like, 480p footage, uh-huh. like, with our old video game consoles. Totally fine with it. And now it's like when we see 480p footage, we're like, this is disgusting. Like, yeah. I, will not, I will not accept this. You're right, right. But it's like it's functionally no different. I mean, I know that analog signals and digital signals look different, so that's a different discussion but it's weird how like our eyes have changed like same thing with like tv resolutions like a couple years ago like 1080p was like the way to go for tvs and now it's like 4k and we can't like we can't go back to 1080p like no one's okay with that now i feel so bad for anybody that like bought a nice tv 10 years ago Uh i mean that's how it's just gonna go like exponentially your thing's gonna be out of date like within a couple years yeah uh i guess the point i'm trying to make is the whole the worm looking so realistic to you as a kid like maybe that's just how it looked like maybe that was our like closest approximation of what a giant sandworm could look like because we didn't know what cgi would like look like back then right like no right. no one had ever seen a cgi sandworm yeah and i couldn't even like imagine that it could be better mm-hmm. that's so funny people like say like if, if you could like show or play like hardcore death metal to somebody like go back in time to the 50s uh-huh. that people would just like lose their minds and we <laughs> think that's funny but like that's what happened to us it's like imagine going back to 1996 and like showing this full cgi monster thing to raul how would that he thinks uh, the thing is crazy right that's really trippy to think about like how would my like 1999 like brain receive like really good cgi that doesn't look like anything to me. It it would <laughs> Westworld. It would look like magic, I think. Yeah. It would look it would look like supernatural, I think, to the un like the unconditioned eye. I think video games same argument, but with video games would have probably been a lot more visceral for me because I was used to playing video games and there were these really low low resolution things. Uh-huh. So like to you know sit me in front of like a Star Wars game or something would have just launched my head into space (laughs) yeah the one last thing i'll say about that sandworm scene is i like that it's a very throwaway comment that that's on saturn like they beetlejuice i think says it where they somehow are talking about like oh you guys saw the sandworms or something like saturn yeah like (laughs) i I was in saturn recently or something like that they could have put the desert world anywhere like in Mm -hmm. the you know the dark world or in a parallel universe but no right it's just just the same 
solar system as us. I just, I also just like the image. Like, obviously, that's not what the surface of Saturn looks like at all. But I like the, I like that thought. The Saturn is just this weird, like, desert with a bunch of weird creatures. Yeah, man. Our solar system is a real downer. I thought it was going to be a lot more interesting. Yeah, it sucks. On, yeah, there's, like, no life anywhere. Mm-hmm. Half of them you can't even step on. They're, like, gas planets. What's up yeah. with that? I remember, like, this is the last tangent for this part, but I've seen, like, photos, you know, from, like, the NASA subreddit or, like, Instagram accounts where it's, like, here's a picture of, like, the surface of Venus or something right and it just looks disgusting (laughs) it's just like a cloud of like toxic air and you're like wow that's so cool and alien and just really depressing (laughs) it's all dead out there okay what other scenes do you like let me pull up some notes i had here i started doing the same thing i was like making some notes and you should like look at them see like all of (laughs) it you just have one yeah (laughs) <laughs> it just says Tim Burton. <laughs> Trevor's notes for this week are just Tim Burton. That's all I need to know. You know, this movie's pretty funny, too. Mm-hmm. Like, it's definitely, like, a, a very funny movie. One of the funniest scenes was the Beetlejuice commercial that pops on their TV. I love that. It, what is it, like, a used car salesman or something like that? He's, like, yeah. doing this pitch. He's, like, a cowboy car salesman, which is, like, a character that exists in film uh-huh. and cartoons and he just has the greatest accent Go down and all. yeah this is like my moment i guess where like yeah previous listeners of the podcast might know that i do a pretty good michael keaton as that version in beetlejuice the cowboy mm-hmm. car salesman version of beetlejuice i was trying to, to tease impression. this out of you because <laughs> if not now then never so what does he say he he's like uh, come on, come on down, folks. I, I'll do anything. Uh, uh, I'll tell you what. Uh, uh, I'm gonna have some snakes and some lizards for the kids to play with. That's, that's no problem. Uh, uh, hold this for me, darling. He pulls like snakes out of his uh, out of his pocket. <laughs> that's unbelievable. That's like you are Beetlejuice, as far as I'm concerned. I love. He gets like really low, and I can't quite do that oh, s- super oh. super well. Oh, it's when he's like getting married. And he's like looking for the ring in his suit. Oh, I, I, got, I got around here somewhere. Honey. He's like, you, you know, I got a boot. Oh, God. I got around here somewhere. Checking, checking all my pockets. Hold this for me, darling. It pulls out some fucking lizards coming out of my front pocket. I love uh, in that in that car commercial thing you're talking about. He's like on like one of the model horses. It's just like a still, like a perfectly still horse, and he's just like throwing this like lasso around. <laughs> And he's just, like, laughing. Like, the camera's, like, panning over to him, and he's just, like, yucking. He's, like, (laughs) (laughs) just, like, spinning this lasso. That's, like, the funniest part for me is that car commercial. Yes. And that uh, transitions pretty well into, like, another visual gag that they use a lot, which is, like, this miniature uh, world, this model world. Uh Uh-huh. Because, like, the the husband character, like, has a miniature model of the town, you know, complete with his house in it and so beetlejuice for a lot of the movie kind of inhabits this that uh that realm mm-hmm. i want to look at the uh the beetlejuice like ad oh, oh, oh come on now you know oh, come get a car let's listen to this cowboy beetlejuice ad you want to get rid of that pest? Lead a bio exorcist. Wild, come on down and 
seen me, folks, because I'm the outcast leading his shirt is also like super tight yeah i got demons running all through me I love that. He's just legs up in the air. And this is like a good good way to like, maybe I've talked about this a little bit already, but I really like the whole concept of the economy surrounding haunting. Like it's this, it's almost just like this like middle class job. Uh-huh. It's like, like buying a house. It's like we're first time like home buyers, so we need like a realty agent. But like this is a situation that like we're first time like home haunters. So uh-huh. like we need to like outsource it to a professional for our first time that's obviously true that like he he seems like that kind of like a mid-level person as far as like the analogous job in our economy and like the Uh people in the other world seem just like a dmv office Mm -hmm. so it's weird that like that's all part of like the social economic spread in our world but in that world like that's the only thing like we don't see anybody doing better than that or lower everything's just average yeah in the afterlife Uh uh-huh that's what makes it hell i guess yeah everything's mediocre i mean at least like that sounds like a more appropriate hell right because i mean if everything is all like bad and suffering all the time like at least that's like pure right Uh uh-huh pure terrible but like mediocrity uh sounds like it could be like more torturous over time Mm -hmm. anyways (laughs) let's get out of that discussion (laughs) (laughs) One of the favorite scenes of this movie for me is the the dinner scene where they do the banana boat song. Hey, misa day, misa day, misa day, misa day, misa day, misa day. We watched a Sesame Street version of that. That was great. Was that the, like the guy that sang it, like the uh-huh. original guy, Harry Belafonte? I love like the Muppets like role in that too. He does that whole me, misa day. And then the misa day, misa day, and then like all of the Muppets are like repeating him, uh-huh. and they just get they trip over themselves doing that, like everyone else would. <laughs> and they're like trying to get him bananas. That was a pretty like, funny gag. Get get bananas, bananas, bananas. No, what are you doing? Fozzie Bear has the funniest voice. But yeah, I like I like that scene too. I remember just uh, the music in this in this whole movie. Like, I remember jamming to it as a kid. I'm like, this music's good. Like, what would you? What would you call this kind of music? Um, I can't. Nothing else comes to mind other than the banana boat song. Actually, I mean, there's like uh, shake sonora at the end. Oh right, right, right. It's kind of like salsa y. Yeah. Like kind of like I don't know, like fast, like fancy dancing. Yeah. Music, which is like in huge contrast to the movie's tone. Right. This really fun music. I love the music. I love. I remember the shake sonora thing at the end. Like, just loving that as a kid. Like, I would want to dance to it. I sing the Banana Boat song probably, like, once a week with Stacy. It's a good duo song. Mm-hmm. I like that uh, they they all get, like, possessed, right? And they start dancing. It's like a dinner party. And I love how... I would hope that this is how I would react to something like that happening. Where it's, if you look at it on paper, it's like, and then the characters, like, bodies become possessed and start da- dancing to this like sourceless music right sounds kind of terrifying but like 
it's so goofy in the movie and then afterwards all of the characters involved were like that was crazy right like so fun like it was like being on an amusement park ride uh-huh. and i would just like hope that like if that ever happened to me that's exactly how i would respond to they would just love it i would just be like that was so cool what an experience we just had <laughs> you know just so with the flow i that, that I, that's what i think is like the most confusing part about this movie as far as character behavior goes at no point is anyone like wow like we have proof of like the afterlife or something well it's because like it's just like ghosts there are characters in the movie part of that family and their posse that like straight up already believe in ghosts uh-huh. like the family friend guy he's like already yeah. an expert in like ghosts so he's just like completely unfazed uh-huh the rest of the family like doesn't necessarily believe in ghosts but as soon as they it happens they're like already on board totally okay with it no question like the dad's a character that is like super straight edge and i Mm -hmm. thought that him more than anybody would have put up a little bit of resistance to these series of events but yeah and they like not only are they cool with it but they're also like trying to exploit it for financial gain he immediately jumps into that mode which no at no point is like anyone the skeptic here no at no one at no point no one is like no there's no ghosts like ghosts aren't real it's just everybody's down with ghosts let's talk about that interior decorator character since you brought him up isn't he great is he a family member or a family friend a friend but i think they're the family's interior decorator that's like his role Uh uh-huh so he's the one responsible for what happened to the house like by the end of the movie yeah well there's this like really funny line where it's like the movie's showing him how like how much of an idiot he is and it's like him standing out on this like patio thing and it's like the family talking to him they're like do you really think that you can like summon these ghosts with a seance and he's like darling i know as much about ghosts as i do about interior design and then it like it cuts to like a wide shot of the house and it just looks so (laughs) goofy and stupid i didn't notice that yeah i mean it just he fits in so well with like the the mother character yeah who's like a really eccentric like artist yeah self-proclaimed artist yeah. also plays a hand and like making the house just look fucking crazy by the end i want to talk about this a little bit because i haven't really thought about it until now but the stuff that that person i forget that actress's name but she's the woman from like home alone she's like the mom from home alone she has this really weird like art style that's painted in the context of the movie as like really like pretentious and stupid uh-huh. like the movie thinks that her art is stupid right Right. yeah but like you could say that like that art is pretty representative of like the stuff that tim burton is like really into (laughs) right yeah and so like she's kind of like channeling that tim burton like art style energy but the movie thinks it's dumb simultaneously somehow so is that like is it tim burton being self-deprecating i think so or like self-satirizing Maybe. Okay. I don't know where he's from, but yeah, those those characters are like definitely supposed to be that come off as like over the top and ridiculous. She has that like sculpture that's just like like a paper mache ball with like springy legs on it. <laughs> <laughs> and there's like a chair that looks like a giant claw or something that you sit in. Uh-huh. Have you seen um this new movie that came out on Netflix with Jake Gyllenhaal? It's called like Velvet Bloodsaw or something. Oh, velvet blood saw um velvet buzz saw i think velvet blood saw such a hardcore name did you watch it no so bad i I heard it was stupid so i like avoided it fucking stupid but 
it's pretty funny like in the way that like it uh makes fun of the art world okay and jake gyllenhaal is like amazing in it he like brings his characteristic intensity kind of like him and nightcrawler uh-huh how his characters just have like this really intense edge yeah to this like really uppity art critic okay and so he's great to watch in it tony collette right i remember like the trailer has her like sticking her arm like in something oh and, yeah like and like getting sucked in or taken off i don't know yeah so it's just, like the whole movie is like making fun of like the art world essentially uh-huh. and so in that scene like one of the characters sticks her hand in a art piece Mm-hmm. And then the art piece cuts her arm off. Mm-hmm. And then she falls on the floor and bleeds to death. And then they were like, oh, and like, and nobody did anything because they were thought that she was just part of the art piece. Uh-huh. This like dead bleeding woman. That's like a Nathan for you sketch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or I don't know if you call it a sketch, but yeah. That Eric Andre when he like busts up that art yeah. display. Yeah. It's just like, uh, there's no questioning art. It's just, that's what it is. Everybody thinks just that's what it is. Mm-hmm. like i could see like the whole eric andre thing like i could see it i don't think it happened but the same sort of thing just like taking place in like a performance art piece where like someone comes in and like smashes everything uh-huh and people are like this is part of the art i hope that's what that was with eric andre i hope that he didn't destroy like somebody's hard work yeah i've always questioned exhibit. that from that that scene i was never quite sure what was going on there yeah same thing when he like comes into businesses like especially like the cat burglar one he seems like he's actually not supposed to be there yeah and he's like he's like breaking other people's things there's i i think it's real like just uh-huh. some of the reactions i saw like when he mm-hmm. goes up to this couple sitting down the guy says like uh, hey like what are you and then the girlfriend's just like just just let him just let him just just <laughs> and uh-huh. just like super serious like strangers like think they're in danger in public right kind of response very very like real that's why i could never be in that arena that whole like public comedy arena yeah just too many sticky situations what other scenes you got here i got this is a good time to bring this up Uh, the father actor oh yeah pervert yeah yeah he's a pervert in real life i was looking into him because like i remember his face from ferris bueller Mm -hmm. and his face to me is so weird for some reason he like looks really ethnically german or something <laughs> what does that mean he looks like a german guy all right for sure <laughs> and he just looks so weird to me and so based off the strength of that alone i went to his wikipedia page the weird dude yeah he was like busted for like child porn and then also like soliciting like a 14 year old boy yeah really nasty stuff i guess he was arrested a couple times for not putting himself on the sex offender list so do you know those like um like celebrity shows that are like oh where is this celebrity uh what are this celebrity up to now right they do what on this guy you know, like cheery intro music it's like well this uh, jeffrey jones has been arrested on multiple counts of uh child pornography and soliciting a minor <laughs> it would be a funny like premise if like the people like reading the copy like didn't know that beforehand yeah <laughs> they're just like so let's find out and they're like they find out at the same time as the audience so i I, it it turns out that jeffrey jones actually uh was arrested several times for uh being in possession of child pornography so i mean we've got an hour and a half or we've got like half an hour of a time slot to fill here so i guess we're gonna keep talking about him they just (laughs) like gloss over that part 
Yeah, terrible guy. Don't Google Jeffrey Jones. What else do you know Michael Keaton from? Um, he was in this old movie called like Multiples or something or Duplicates. Multiplicity. Multiplicity. Yeah. Yeah. I saw that not too long ago. Loved it. I don't. I've never seen that, but I'm aware of what it is. What's the premise? Uh, the premise. It's like this guy, you know, very busy, busy business owner and dad and and husband, and he can't find enough time of the day to do everything he wants. Somehow ends up hooking up with a lab that can like clone him uh-huh. to try to solve this problem. Yeah. And then it's just more of that just that escalating more and more of him yeah until the end. that's like one of my biggest fantasies is having multiple versions of myself uh-huh. to be to be more productive i thought about this all the time but i just don't know how it would make any sense because like two people can't live the same life like i wouldn't take that yeah. deal with myself yeah mine has a very like specific caveat caveat to make it work it's that like i think one of the x-men works this way uh-huh. where he like can create multiple versions of himself. They all have like their separate like experiences and can do things. But when they're done, they all just like merge into the same guy. Okay. And then like that person absorbs all of those memories and experiences. So the consciousness has to like be able to revert back to a Got singular it. one. Yeah. Who else is in this movie? Winona Ryder. Oh yeah, I want to talk to her Stranger Things. She's so young in this movie. It's crazy. I don't know. Something about like Winona Ryder's age like is confusing to me because like this is what I remember Winona Ryder from in order. Beetlejuice in this as what appears to be like a child. She looks like she's 15 years old in this movie. Mm-hmm. And then once again in Mr. Deeds, which is an Adam Sandler movie. Oh, she's a romantic lead in that? Yeah. Oh. And that's like maybe like 2004. 2005 maybe and then in stranger things Uh and so she goes from like child to like 35 year old to like 55 year old in my memory (laughs) like at no point was she in between any of those ages that's so funny and i don't know maybe that's exactly like how it it works out but for some reason just recalling all that stuff it seems like she aged very rapidly in my mind have you seen her in uh heathers no it's like another iconic movie from this time period a lot like a tim burton movie like very dark it's like about this high school where the school is like led by like three popular girls all called heather okay and then weona Ryder and this like crazy guy at her school team up together to myrtle murder all of them okay like school shooting style and it's like super super dark but also like mainly comedic Uh uh-huh can recommend for sure I'll have to check it out. And then lastly, but not least, uh, we've got Alec Baldwin. Oh, I totally I totally didn't have anything to say about him at all. Yeah, he's kind of a forgettable character in the movie. I mean, both he and his wife are. Like, they're the main characters, but they're so basic. Yeah. That, like, there's nothing... That is true. There's nothing fun to say about it. They're actually really out of place in this movie. Because everything else, everyone else in this movie is, like, a true-to-form, like, Tim Burton wacky character. Yeah, I guess that's on purpose, right? Like, the Uh ghosts are the most normal characters in the whole movie. Mm -hmm. And the real people are the crazy-looking ones. Yeah. They're so boring for that reason. They have, like, (laughs) no... (laughs) They have, like, no qualities that are worth talking about. Mm -hmm. There's, like, a little bit of, like, that whole dynamic of, of them being seemingly childless for some reason. Sounds like they were struggling with infertility. 
Right. And then mm-hmm. so the Wiona Ryder's character kind of like filled that parenting uh-huh. role for them. But I feel like they didn't hit that too hard on the head. I felt like I kind of had to dig for that one. Yeah. It's a, it's a little subtle. Subtler yeah. than maybe it should be because it feels like that's the most uh, redemptive theme of this movie. Like it's the most like inspiring one. Mm-hmm the child kind of becoming the surrogate for the two ghost parents yeah it seems to mostly just be about the wacky scenarios that they get into trying to haunt that house and dealing with the current owners yeah and i think that (laughs) did you watch i think justin sent it to me actually you want to see if justin's available right now oh that'd be great yeah because i don't know how much of that was usable (laughs) justin saw my text he's typing so he's probably gonna say no he never does, like, spur-of-the-moment stuff. It's probably coming up with a really long excuse. <laughs> I love how we can tell that, just, like, from the length of the response. Yeah. Oh, man, fucking eating my words now. He's like, sure, give me two seconds. I'll call you back. <laughs> Holy shit. I'm the worst person. I need to have more faith in my friends. Let's play that to Justin later. We're like, oh, yeah, dude. <laughs> fucking never comes through. <laughs> And then two seconds later, we're like, hey, Justin. (laughs) Uh, Hey. There he is. Hey. What's up, dude? Hey. Thanks for hopping on, like, so last minute. Hope we didn't disturb anything. Uh, I was just drinking beer and playing Zelda. So, yeah, no, nothing at all. Perfect. That's, like, exactly, like, the right time to call you for this. Looks like we ruined his evening, actually. I would go back to that. It's a step down, but hey, guys, you know what? Anything for my fans. Thank you for the sacrifice. So we were we were talking a little bit about Beetlejuice. Cool. Justin, I think you were the one who recommended this movie. Like, maybe when we did our El Topo recording, you had said Beetlejuice. Why'd you point us in this direction? You know, I've always had such a love for this movie, such a soft spot. And I think it's, it's a really popular movie, but I still don't think it gets the credit it deserves. I think it's popular, but in a specific way that probably isn't really, I don't know, deserving or it, I don't, I, it's hard to put my finger on it, but it's like, it's so f- much funnier than I think people know it is. Uh-huh. And it's also so much more like uh, unique that I think people give it credit for. Yeah. It is surprisingly popular for how weird it is. Yeah, yeah for sure. Is that just a recent thing, or was it really big at the time? Here's my theory on this, and I think we kind of touched on this already, because we have been talking about like all the reasons that it's really cool and unique, but I think the whole Beetlejuice-like character is just this like wacky source of comedy that just translates really well into popular culture, and everything else is like overshadowed by that. Totally. I think maybe my analogy for it is it's a little like Cthulhu and maybe H.P. Lovecraft in general. That's Scientology? Am I thinking something else? No, you know what? I guess this is a shitty analogy then if, if I'm the only one that is going to be. So H.P. Lovecraft, famous like weird fiction author who came up with this mythos called the Cthulhu mythos. And it was about this like cosmic beast that lives under the ocean and rises up and destroys the world. Just this bizarre piece of fiction. Uh, that now is like sort of like internet nerd culture Tumblr fodder, you know? Okay. And you can find like plush Cthulhu toys at your local Hastings. It's that I'm, kind of thing. 
I'm tracking with you now. So it's like this sort of old, really wild piece of, I think he calls it like a cosmic creature. It's like maybe cosmic fiction or something like that by a really renowned author. And now it's just like a meme. Yeah, for sure. And I don't, and I wouldn't say Beetlejuice has been like relegated to a meme, but I would say that the character has transcended the movie into like just a pop culture figure. It's divorced from the, I think, the qualities of the movie that a lot of people, I don't know, don't really glom onto. And I think it's just because it is such a force of pop culture nature, that character. Yeah. He's got some, uh, I, I think his like image is like extremely striking and like is kind of like reminiscent of the Joker in a lot of ways, which I really kind of just picked up on while <laughs> putting the pre-show together for this. Not that that's of any significance, but something about like his caricature just separates itself from everything else about that movie. And we were just talking how he's not really in it all that much. Yeah, we were just discussing how the other characters are so boring. Like the main <laughs> couple, just absolutely yeah. forgettable as far as their role. They're, they're just like there to like serve as the proxy for the audience. They're the straight people for sure. The, yeah. 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 So I'm interested, Justin, because we've been talking about this a little bit already. Like, in your opinion, like, what are those qualities that kind of get swept under the rug because of how popularized this movie is? Yeah. So I mentioned how funny it is, but I think I, I think it has really sharp humor that isn't as broad as it would initially seem. For example, one of my favorite jokes in the movie is uh, at the beginning when uh, they've just died and they come home and Alec Baldwin sees the handbook for the recently deceased. Mm -hmm. Um, And he picks it up and he says, the handbook for the recently diseased. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. I miss that. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's just such a great, he's kind of a dumb, like a dummy, you know, (laughs) he's kind of a himbo, uh, Mm -hmm. which I like. So it's just that kind of stuff. It's really offbeat humor. Uh, And then also, I mentioned this when we discussed it after the screening, but I think the movie has some really great, like, casual world building. Not to the degree that it would withstand scrutiny, but um, I think Mm -hmm. enough to, like, capture the imagination. Yeah, Yeah. that's a perfect way to put it. We, like, dove pretty deep into that earlier. We were were over-scrutinizing. Yeah, we were, like, talking about how the afterlife is basically, like, middle-class bureaucracy. It's just like you got to fucking get a job and like you got to go to work and you got to wait in line and how that's like a worse hell (laughs) than like actual hell. Yeah. I mean, when you when they first get to the waiting room and they mention uh, the clerk, the like Miss Argentina uh, lady mentions the 125 years that they'll have to. I think they have to live in the house for 125 years before something happens. I forget the exact like rules, but just Mm -hmm. immediately you're hit with like the mind-numbing i guess eternity (laughs) of the afterlife but like a mundane boring eternity you know yeah i miss that part that they would go somewhere else after a few hundred years yeah i don't know i don't know if it is go somewhere else i forget what the like what the next step is but it is like they're just gonna have to wait for a very long time do you think it's alluded to that there is like other that there is more to this other world than what is shown in the movie because all that we're shown of it, like, fucking sucks. Like, it's just, like, this DMV office mm-hmm. and a desert, and that's it. And I think that, like, the brevity of what we're provided with there, like, has always made me just not analyze it at all. Like, I'm just like, this is just, like, a wacky, like, Tim Burton scene. And that, like, I've given no thought to, like, the border of 
like that ghost world yeah i think this is owed in part and forgive me i'm not well read on this at all but i do know that the movie originally started out so it was written by a gentleman whose name i'm forgetting michael something who was a horror novelist and it was a much darker movie and he Due to his being a fiction writer, I think he really fleshed out the world. And then when it kind of came into Tim Burton's hands, they really had to, they lightened it up and it became something else. But those core elements that I imagine he added to it, which was that sort of depth of the world and probably had a little more rules to it, for lack of a better term, um, I think that helps. Because there's still that depth there, it's just not plumbed, you know? Mm-hmm. For example, and I guess to the question you just asked, Raul, when they are going through the hallway and they see the, like, I think it's called the Lost Souls Room. Yeah. Which oh, is yeah. where exercised ghosts go. It's like mm-hmm. death for the afterlife. Death for the dead is what the maintenance man said. Which is just one of the grimmest things you can imagine. So mm-hmm. I like that because they're, they don't spend any more time on it. It's just sort of a yeah. passing thing. That's interesting I'm because I'm just not thinking about this where like they kind of set that scene up like that's foreshadowing something. Yeah, but they never came back to it. That maybe the characters like through some mishap find themselves there or like are almost going to be there. But that's like the only time that comes up the whole death for dead thing. I've always yeah. wondered if it was implied that the at the end when they're being sort of reanimated or sort of re... I don't know, brought back into the world that that's like oh, yeah. implied that then they would go on to, cause they, they seem to be like decaying or dying yeah. as they are. So I don't know if it's implied that they're going to go to that realm afterward. Uh, yeah, but probably so. Yeah. Definitely doesn't like specify one way or the other. That yeah. makes a lot of sense though, that like if this was like a more fleshed out written piece and like, we're just kind of seeing like the remains of that. In no pun movie. intended. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty cool. I also think they just needed that to give some stakes to their situation because without the like vague possibility of like demise again, uh, like the story would never be able to rise past the level of just being annoyed by their new inhabitants. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. You couldn't have like that ending where, you know, everything's going awry and then they need to be saved. For like back on the like the world building thing, are either of you like familiar with that cartoon, the Beetlejuice cartoon? No, not at all. I remember watching it as a kid, but I don't remember anything about it. I'm curious as to if that, like, dives into that world anymore at all. Yeah, I do think it fleshes out the world, but I don't think it necessarily follows any rules set by the movie, probably beyond saying his name three times. But I do know it takes place in Winter River, that town, and... They go to Saturn, and there's a bunch of, as evidenced by the the intro, like there's a bunch of characters, you know, that mm-hmm. hang out. They're all these wacky afterlife. I think it's called the Neither World in the show. The Neither World. I love huh. that. What is some of your most visually striking scenes that you like from this movie? Because there's yeah. like so much visual effects going on, and there's a lot to love. You know, there's a lot of, there is, and there's a lot of little moments, and this is just a testament to the magic of, like, practical effects, but there's a lot of moments where I don't really know how they pulled it off. Mm -hmm. This is minor, but... I've always thought it was great how when Alec Baldwin has his crazy morph, you know, head, Uh and then he tries putting himself back together, but he has the long nose. Uh Well, someone walks into the room and they have to hide, and he he immediately squashes his nose down. Right. But I've I've scrutinized that so many times because I don't know how they managed to it's it's not 
drawn attention to, but it doesn't look like the nose like flops to the side and it doesn't look like yeah, no, no. I had this exact same thought last night when we were watching it. You did I noticed how they, they didn't show him it cut to him like this. So obviously he had to like grab the nose and like scrunch it and then keep it there. I imagine it was just one big scrunch, but it looks good. <laughs> it looks like it looks yeah. like he's doing what he what it, what he's supposed to be doing, which is like squashing his nose back in place. Yeah. I'm so glad we all like locked in. <laughs> that is a really good shot. What a good performance. That scene was so funny um, cuz like right before that when he stretched out his face, they did that and then there was like a good like maybe minute before that became relevant again like where they're just walking back from the other world back to their house where they're just like walking around in these masks <laughs> and they look they look so crazy and like nobody's yeah. there to like look at them or be scared of them yeah just strolling i love i don't know what out what you call it like on alec baldwin's head but it's like a little like chicken like mohawk thing that kind of looks like fingers also oh, so yeah. weird looking it's so great oh there's another there's another thing that i'm i'm never sure about i have a theory how they do it but it's when he's he's doing it. He's transforming himself, and he takes out his two eyes. So his hands are like it's like a magic trick. His hands are empty. He has but he has two eyeballs, uh-huh. and then he does this, and immediately his hands come back up, and he has eyeballs uh-huh. on all f- ten fingers. Right. And I I've always wondered how they did that, and I think I think it's two sets of hands. Yeah, I think it's just a body double. Yeah, I think so. But it's yeah. seamless and it looks really good, mm-hmm. and it's just those little things that really add. Uh, they add something to the movie, I think. Yeah, man. Old school VFX artists are like the most badass guys ever. Compared to like what the economy of like special effects looks like now, where it's like, I'm kind of a special effects artist, but I'm not like anything compared to those guys. Like anybody with a laptop can do it now with like a little bit of time on YouTube. But it's also funny how like groundbreaking like visual effects now, it just looks like a bunch of people sitting at a desk. It like looks super lame, but uh-huh. like back then they were like building like sets with cranes and doing all this shit. Yeah, dude. And now it's so dumb. It's just like all the old school filmmakers are like I think more so like real craftsmen for uh-huh. whatever it is they were doing because it's so fucking like widespread and like formulaic and like everybody does everything now. But like the people like building sets back then people shooting on film everything was analog just hardcore okay so this might be a tangent it is a tangent but that's what we're all about here i know (laughs) i like that justin can recognize when it happens i I blink and i'm three tangents in (laughs) okay but on that note what the fuck happened to tim burton because that that's what happened to him right he was like the quintessential 80s and 90s super out there he was his own style his own genre and really into like practical effects Uh and then now like you i've never seen any of his new movies but you look at like the alice in wonderland movies like it's just it's like a cgi nightmare it looks it looks grotesque and not in a good tim burton way yeah Um, and it's soulless and it's just it's weird that he's really leaned and i imagine it's just money but it's it's weird that he's leaned into this so far it's like a total 180 sold out and maybe that like ties into what i was saying at the very beginning of this episode and it's that i'm not a huge like tim burton fan and i think it's just the trajectory of my experience with him like i was in late adolescence when he was making all of his bad stuff oh really yeah yeah those early 2000s 
did not look like a good era at all just browsing through the wikipedia sleepy hollow is great i love sleepy hollow but i can't i can't stand for anything beyond that yeah i think that my hesitancy to go like back to tim burton like whenever i think of tim burton i don't really think about all of the late later bullshit that he did i think about like beetlejuice and batman and like nightmare before christmas even and hit edward scissorhands but i don't know like those movies on their own like aren't enough to get me like really jazzed about tim burton and it's also i'm curious what you have to say about this justin where it's like we someone made a comparison to him to like wes anderson just like how unique he is in in his own lane but something about how it's like Tim Burton is almost just like the spooky version of like any other auteur director, right? Where it's just like his whole thing is like Halloween and something about that makes him, I guess, feel a little like seasonal to me and like not as interesting overall compared to like other artists. Yeah. I mean, cause it is a very specific kind of, it's not horror, mm-hmm. but it is like a, it is that like lighthearted twist of spookiness that comes with, I don't know jack-o'-lanterns and black cats you know right so i i get that i don't know it's a weird comparison because i agree i i see the comparison but also wes anderson i think has maybe it's because there's not like uh with with tim burton i guess you can say the logical end to his career where he was just coming up with his own worlds was to fall into this like trap of just cgi nonsense but with Wes Anderson, I don't know. I guess you could say he's fallen into some Wes Anderson holes too, but what does that mean? That means, I don't know, you're putting Bill Murray in France. and More, more of what we love is what that means. <laughs> yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. So I, I think the polls there are maybe a little different, but I will, I, I got to defend like everything prior to like 2001 that Tim Burton uh, made is, I think, across the board, pretty great. Especially if you haven't seen Ed Wood, it's just a straightforward Ed, drama. Feature. Edward, Scissorhands. Ed. Ed Wood. I thought yeah, like that could totally be a way to like stylize Edward Scissorhands. Isn't like didn't I think like someone from Ku worked on Ed Wood? Oh, maybe I don't know. Yeah, but it's uh it's filmed in black and white, beautiful black and white. Stars Johnny Depp as Ed Wood. So it's just this really lovely biopic and you get uh, Martin Lando as Bella Lugosi in this like heartbreaking, beautiful role that I think he won the Oscar for. It's phenomenal. And so it shows off that Tim Burton really had chops beyond just drawing off kilter black lines on skeletons. He has like a weird mix of like movies that fit uh, well outside of the mold that he's made for himself. Like I would say that maybe a whole third of his movies up to a half of his movies are kind of just like major blockbuster things that kind of don't fit within the Tim Burton narrative. How long can you sell yourself out for before you can stop like a line before you have to stop aligning yourself with this quirky Halloween thing? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's weird. What's weird about that is like Batman made, I don't know what, but I imagine like half a billion dollars, you know, in 19, 89 money or whatever mm-hmm. um, that was a massive success and then he went and made like nightmare before christmas so um <laughs> that was a time where i think i think he really i don't know if i want to ascribe integrity to it but i think he was for the most part kind of sticking to his artistic visions 
and I respect it. And then he made like Mars Attacks, which is just a bizarre movie. He like made Mars I, Attacks. Yeah, I didn't, I that's didn't realize him. that. Wow. I love Danny Elfman's score. Uh, what's great about this? So I I think this was their first movie together. Uh, but I could be wrong. But I think this is like one of the quintessential Tim Burton, Danny Elfman scores because it so perfectly captures the character. Like I can't divorce Beetlejuice from the like, I think you called it spooky polka. Yeah. Uh, Trevor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then I think this is just due to the movie, the history of the movie and me having seen it a million times, but also like the weird pairing of the banana boat song and the the Jamaican music. It's such an offbeat pairing, but I can't imagine any other set of songs. Um, I think it's been such a fruitful pairing, those two. But this this score especially, I think, just captures the movie's, like, just hijinks. You know, the movie is full of hijinks, and I feel like the score is full of hijinks. <laughs> mm-hmm. Man, yeah. if this movie was, like, a cocktail, the music would just be, like, a really interesting and, like, strong ingredient in the cocktail just like, <laughs> like just putting like a shot of bitters into like an orange vodka or something so does that mean you're not a fan of it oh no that that's just me failing to describe a good cocktail i, I really <laughs> i really like it it's like so unique like it clashes so much with the tone of the movie that together it just creates like an entirely new feeling yeah yeah like it would have been such a different movie if the soundtrack matched what we were watching on screen agreed that's one of the things that stands out to me i remember watching this movie on the disney channel one night and it's probably the only movie that's ever appeared on the disney channel where a character honks his crotch and says the (laughs) word fuck right after (laughs) he does cuss yeah do you hear the do you hear that that f-bomb he straight up says, nice fucking model. Yeah, he does. And, and honks his crotch. <laughs> That's right. And then other right. shits could like lifts up Tina a... Davis's dress and honks her boob and like. Right. Oh my just... God, there's an F-bomb in a PG movie. That's yeah, so but you know what? Weird. There's there's uh, bare breasts in Airplane and that was PG. That was, there was, really? it was just a different time, man. What were they yeah. doing? Uh, I think, uh, yeah, I, I don't think PG-13 was until uh, Temple of Doom. Man, weird, weird how standards change. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, we haven't really talked about Beetlejuice much. What have you got to say about him? I don't know. It's weird because I feel like he's the he's the character that I think about the least in the movie because he is, maybe it's just because it's he's so saturated in the culture and he's in it so little. I think of other elements yeah. of the movie more, but I think Michael Keaton is kind of a genius and i think his portrayal of the movie or of the character is so like specific yeah i know that tim burton originally had sammy davis jr in mind for the character so i think that's a good indication that this wasn't all tim burton's conception the way that michael keaton portrays him no way would sammy davis jr have brought michael keaton energy to the role Yeah. So I think I think a lot of that is Michael Keaton and like I know he improvised and he was a stand up so I bet a lot of it was just really loose ad living. Yeah. So I don't know. I I really like it, but he's also super obnoxious and hangs over the movie in ways that I think doesn't let other things shine, but I like him. I really I mean evidenced by like my goofing around on other calls, but I really dig his voice. I don't know what it is about like the 
particular delivery, how he's saying words. It's a great voice. I've done the whole like where he goes into like baritone mode and he's like snakes and lizards. And that. <laughs> it's, kind of, it's, it's kind of like a macho man like Randy Savage. <laughs> Very much so. It is sixty percent Randy Savage. Like yeah, slightly like higher pitch Randy Savage. <laughs> I got demons running through me. All through me. <laughs> yeah, there's. I think there's two defining elements of his the way he portrays Beetlejuice, and one is the voice, and the other is this weird thing where he arches his back out and sort of sticks his belly out in like this sleazy way. It's like yeah. a perfect circle. Yeah, his it is. It's just... so like I don't know how he. I don't know how. I don't know if that's just naturally how his physicality is, but. <laughs> There's just something about that that's so off-putting and off-kilter. Going back to his voice, though, there is one part where he's like, where Alec Baldwin's like, what are your qualifications? And he starts out, he has like a little jokey spiel. Look at that. Fucking crazy arc. Oh, totally. That's just wild, man. It looks like he's being hit by an invisible missile. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. I think my parting thought will be don't Google Jeffrey Jones. Too late. Too late. <laughs> because you know what? I'll, I'll say, I think he's very funny in this movie. And mm-hmm. I like him in Ferris Bueller, too. So it's a real shame that he's a piece of shit. What a shame. Earlier I said about how f- weird his face looks to me. Yeah. I love this movie. It's so funny. It's so, even for Tim Burton, it's so unique. I think it stands out. And it's like him at the height of his powers. His powers. when we were in college i remember i had a friend who would make fun of tim burton by saying you put a you put a dark twist on something like that's the tim burton aesthetic was it's like oh it's this can but with a dark twist and that's the tim burton you know way to go but i do think what he actually can bring to the table he brings full force in this movie good summary uh yeah what i have to say is that I really like this movie. Like this, along with Ed, Edward Scissorhands, were movies that I saw early enough that they were just like really influential. Like at, when they came into my life, they were mm-hmm. so different and outlandish, and I just thought it was like amazing. On rewatching, they totally hold up. They're super funny, and the visual stuff, like the VFX, I feel is a lot more satisfying to watch now in hindsight as opposed to maybe closer to when they were more standard. So that's like an additional benefit. Cool. A little bit of nostalgia. I think that my experience with this watch around was that I'm experiencing a lot more of what Justin alluded to at the beginning, which was all the reasons that it's underappreciated and how like Beetlejuice, the character kind of overshadows this movie in a lot of ways. And I think that I was able to kind of sink my teeth into all of the stuff surrounding that. We were able to cut through that noise a little bit. And for that reason, I enjoyed it a lot more, I think, more than I've probably ever have before. Because I realize it's a movie with more going on than, like, kind of a wacky Michael Keaton character. All right, I'm going to give Beetlejuice 9 out of 10 springy-legged sculptures out of 10. You son of a bitch. (laughs) I'll give this movie 9.1... Dune ripoff sandworms out of 10. <laughs> That's good. I give this movie nine black and white striped suits out of 10. Perfect. So looks like for this upcoming week, we've got Greenberg. And then the week after, we do Ladybird. Ladybird. 
<laughs> Ladybird. I think I made this exact same joke. Yeah, you did. <laughs> green green bird. Ladybird. Green bird. <laughs> green bird. That's great. Thanks for listening this week. Uh, our music is by W. I can't do this. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Uh, look about uh, at W on Instagram. Uh, that's hair of dog underscore the word W. <laughs> Two U's. Tune in next week. Wherever you're listening, give us a good rating. Connect with us at at the <laughs> at Twitter and Instagram. Tune in next week. Oh. <laughs> it's just the same thing. <laughs> Special thanks to Grace Fawcett, our editor. Well, we'd also like to thank Justin for coming out and hanging out with us. And thanks to Brady Goodman for hosting our podcast. 